Is social selling a reliable part of your business development, sales, and marketing plan? If your business is engaged in some social media because you think you're supposed to, but you're not getting much traction, you're going to love my next guest, social selling expert, Jennifer Dubow. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Jennifer Dubow helps people effectively harness the power of internal and external networks of social influence to support their business objectives. Jennifer is an award-winning marketer and thought leader on the subject of social selling. She started her career as a consultant in organizational change management with Accenture in the United States and the UK, and she's continued to serve as a change agent in all of her subsequent roles. While at IBM, for example, Jennifer held a number of positions in B2B enterprise software product and industry marketing. That is a mouthful. It is. But seriously, she also held the role of social business transformation leader of IBM Digital Sales, where she pioneered several first-of-a-kind global programs that increased sales and helped accelerate the adoption of social selling across 44 international sales centers. That is serious stuff, my friend. As a matter of fact, her program's success was validated in an academic research partnership with Rutgers University and featured in several books, including the book The Social Employee, How Great Companies Make Social Media Work, and Next Era Selling. Now, the depth and breadth of Jennifer's consulting and marketing experience is not limited to big business organizations. It actually encompasses organizations of all sizes and complexity, including a local B2C startup, Dognition, where she currently serves as director of marketing. And it encompasses a number of different industries, everything ranging from electric and gas utilities to telecom, food service, and the pet industry. And in a nutshell, Jennifer enjoys influencer marketing. I can personally vouch for her ability as a networking super connector and can't wait to hear more about how to use social media more effectively. Because let's face it, most of us fumble and stumble our way through it because there's really more to it than posting pictures of your kids on Facebook. So let's bring her on now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Jennifer. Thanks, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you here because social media is just such an integral part of our world these days. We can't escape it, but yet I don't think we're always using it most effectively, and there's so much information out there. When it comes to social selling, it's, it's an even broader topic, and I feel like every day when I open my email, there's like another pitch from someone offering a course on how to look use LinkedIn or help me get a gazillion more Twitter followers or do Facebook ads for me. And so it's easy to get pulled in multiple directions. Some people say you need to be everywhere at once, including Instagram, Pinterest, Google Plus, and others say stick to what you're good at. Where should a business start in creating a plan for social selling? Well, the best place to start is to focus on the target customer segment and identify which places those people go for their information and who are the people that influence their decision making. So it's a little different in B2B versus B2C, but ultimately if you understand your customer segment and then you can think through 
what do they read? Do they um, read online? Do they participate in particular social networks? Do they partic- participate in offline networks? Um, and then, uh, you know, who are the people that they consider the thought leaders or the opinion leaders? And, and then try to build a strategy around that. So what's the best way to figure out who influences them? Is it trial and error or is there something more precise that we can be doing? So here, it, again, depends upon the resource level. For a smaller business or a startup, a lot of this information can be found through research. And, um, for example, uh, you know, there are lists. There are lists of influencers in different categories and different spaces. There's, you know, people who portend to be influential who may not be as influential. They tend to be voluminous um, in, their, in their posts. So I think there's a little bit of... Uh, weeding out some of the noise for more complex organizations. There's agencies that specialize and have software that do social network analysis so that you can see who's central to a conversation, you know, through this analytical software. But for the, you know, for the small business owner, it's definitely possible to go see the relationships. Like what I would do when I first started out on Twitter in 2009 in the business process management category, I would see who was posting a lot, who was reposting each other, um, who were the what were the conferences that people kept talking about and saying that they were attending, and just listening, what we call social listening, observing and reading over a period of a couple of weeks will glean a lot of important information that's helpful. So that's interesting. Now, between the different types of social media, how would a small business figure out which is best for them. I mean, most people are very familiar with Facebook because they're on it for their personal use, but is that necessarily going to be the best for their business use? That's a really great question. And I experienced that recently when I took over the role as director of marketing at Dognition. For example, dogs are everywhere. And what I had to figure out was which social network was going to be the best for the audience that, that I was trying to reach. And what I learned through trial and error was that, for example, Twitter tended to be more focused on scientists or researchers, like academics, who were posting about dogs. And while there were some accounts, um, you know, dog accounts, it wasn't as popular. And then Facebook, the kind of content that people responded to was very different than the kind of content that I posted on Instagram. And, you know, I made some mistakes. You know, for example, I would post the same content across all three platforms, and what I could see was that I got a lot of response on Instagram, not a great response on Facebook, and no response on, on Twitter. So that gave me information to say, you know, the different platforms respond to different types of content, and I needed to then adapt my content strategy for the, the type of audience. And then there's also information, for example, there's analytics to say what the age is, what the gender is, where are people located, so you can get a little bit of a sense. And so I saw that my audience was an older demographic on Facebook and a younger demographic on Instagram. The other thing to consider is that each platform has its own culture or subculture of what's considered, um, I don't want to say appropriate content, but content that is relevant or, um, you know, the way that people use hashtags or the way that people share information, the types of slang that or pop culture terminology that people might use. And that's really important to be able to adapt the content to fit the culture of that platform so that you can seem relevant and that you'll, you know, be taken seriously. 
It's interesting. So a little bit of trial and error, and then using the information and feedback that you receive from how it was received, the information was received on the platform, to then fine-tune it. Does that sound right? Yeah. And then what I decided to do, because I, you know, had limited resources, just like any other, um, you know, small business, I decided to invest my time primarily in one platform. And I mean, I I would would post across, I, I decided to major in three platforms, but majority of my time in one. And I reaped a lot of benefits from from that time investment. Because, you know, a lot of it's instinctual. Like, I I could tell based on my years of working in this field, you know, where the opportunities were, where the relationships were. And, you know, other things like I would look at um, at different uh, people, different accounts who had um, like an Instagram account, a Facebook account, and a Twitter account. And I could see that the majority of their followers were on Instagram. So that sent a signal to me that this is where the action is for my, you know, customer segment. If I were looking at a different segment for the pet industry, then, then that might be, they might have a presence on blogs, for example, or, you know, different space. So again, it comes down to what's your segment and where do they spend a lot of their time? And I chose to major on one segment and go deep on that segment. Interesting, interesting. I'd like to come back to something that you mentioned a moment ago regarding the content and how you were tweaking your content depending on which platform you were posting it. Let's talk a little bit about content. How do you know what to put out there? I think sometimes, just like with blogging, people are like, okay, I got an idea for an article, you know, and they do two or three, and it's like, well, I don't know what to write about. Where do you come up with your ideas for content, and how do you fine-tune your content? A lot of what I do is the same process that I described before, is I spend time in that social listening space where I read and I observe and I look at a lot of different sources to get a sense of what kind of content is already out there. I look at what people are responding to and how they respond to that content. And then and then I continue to search for a lot of content. So in, in the case, in my most recent position, I was cur- what we call curating content. So taking other people's content and then curating it like a like an art museum curator would or or an editor would and and sh- and reposting and sharing that content and putting my spin on it. Another important part of the content strategy is to create your own content. And I did do that as well and in creating content can vary. It can be a white paper, it could be a blog post, it could be a podcast, it could be video. And you know, in any social strategy, it's really important to have a mix of your own content, and then ideally what we call user-generated content, where it's your customers who are creating content, and then you can repost or share that. And then also uh, reposting third-party content. So whether it's um, you know a news article or a third-party blogger, um, I think it's really important to build credibility through content by sharing things that you think are interesting and relevant to your audience. Then no matter what field you're in, or what industry you can be seen as a resource, a credible resource, and people will follow you for your content. And it's a way to get people's attention. And then eventually, through that content, you build a relationship um, and that trust, and then you know, hopefully leads to continued sales. Well, let's pick up on that sales piece, because the, you know, today's discussion is intended to focus on social selling. Now, I see some people out on these different platforms, and they just push, 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 you know, and 
we all put our guard up when somebody starts in with the come to my website now and you'll get blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, come on. You know, like, why should I do that? Let's talk about the selling aspect and different ways to do that that doesn't make you sound or look smarmy. Yeah, that's really important. And and that's why I said that it's really important to have a mix of content. If you're constantly promoting your own website, then that just is a, is a 100% sales pitch. And it's not it's not entertaining. It's not engaging. It doesn't, it doesn't establish a relationship and you do, you, you can establish that relationship by sharing content that's interesting to you. That's interesting to your industry. And, you know, social selling is a broad topic and it has a different definition depending upon who you ask. But one of the things that is really important in social selling is listening. I mean, in, in the sales process is listening. Any good sales uh, coach or trainer will tell you that listening is probably 90% of it. So first you need to start and listen to your audience and, and see what they're talking about. And then that's how you get into the conversation and you can you know participate in existing conversations or you can start new ones with different content and, and like what we discussed before, not promoting your website, but promoting something that's interesting to your industry or to your field. The other thing is using social platforms as a market research tool or market intelligence. So you can follow some key customers, you know, depending upon what what industry you're in or, or key influencers and get a sense of what activities they're going to, what what meetings, what events, what are they reading, what are they talking about, so that when you're preparing for your sales call, you already have that insight. And then the other thing is actually sharing content on you know your own personal channels, whether it's your your business account channel, your business handle, or your own, you know, if it's your own name. And that's what we spend a lot of our time doing with uh, training the sellers is how to do that in a natural way. And the way to, to do that effectively is to build credibility through sharing great content. And again, how do you find that great content? Well, at a large company like IBM, we would share content tip sheets and, and kind of aggregate content for them and train them how to put it into their own words. For a small business owner, there's a lot of social media aggregators out there that can help you quickly access content and you can set them up to, with different categories. So one, for example, is called Feedly and it's a great source that you can quickly scan different publications and blogs to find the content that's relevant to you. You can set up Google Alerts. If you use something like Hootsuite or other types of social media dashboards, you can scan, you can create Twitter lists and, and scan different accounts. So those are some quick ways to find content. And it doesn't have to be an exhaustive process. You can spend 10 to 15 minutes on it a day, pick one or two items that you want to share. The main thing is just to be consistent and quality of the content be high. Well, let's talk about content in terms of number of posts. What do you recommend for that? Because, I mean, there's some people that are posting things every hour, and I appreciate that there are platforms like Hootsuite that allow you to schedule so that you're not going out there, oh, it's 11 o'clock, now i got to post something. Oh, it's 12 o'clock, i got to post something. So that those things are automated, which is nice, but how frequently should someone post and then what should be the frequency or what do you recommend as a frequency between the content versus, you know, and, and here's something from our website, come on over, take a look at it. You know, the, the stuff that's very focused on their product or service versus 
industry information or nice to know type of thing or quotes or we see all those types of things out there but what i would call more filler as opposed to the the content that they're really dying to get into your hands which is about their product or service yeah well what we're talking about right now is a combination of building personal brand and social media marketing versus business using social for business development and, and so that's what I was referring to earlier, that social selling is very broad. If we're just talking about posting, which is sharing or social sharing, that, that really depends. Um, there's different tools that help you optimize the best time of day, based, you know, when your audience is going to be seeing things. Do you have an international audience? So then if you are in the United States and your audience is in Asia, then you need to time your posts accordingly. So those are different factors to consider. Ultimately, it, it, it's up to you and your schedule. I think three times a day is probably enough. Even once a day is fine as long as you're consistent. And, and I do think a good variety. So if you have a special going on, then it's good to promote the special or some sort of new content piece, whether it, maybe it's a new webinar or, or a white paper. And then if, if there's something particular happening that you want to comment on, some people use their personal social platforms to talk about personal things like, oh, they saw a game or they attended a concert and they mix that with business. It really depends upon how you want to manage your own account, if you want it to be all business or not. So ultimately, it's individual. I think posting too much is not helpful. The key is not how much you post. It's the quality and what engagement and response are you getting. Are you getting people clicking on your links? Are you getting people responding in comments? Do they retweet? Do they like your comments? And that's really the indicator to say, you know, I'm doing the right amount. All right. Well, that's definitely some good information to digest because it's one thing to hear it, but yet doing and implementing is quite something else. And there's probably some folks going, oh my gosh, I can't do all this stuff. I already have, you know, a a full schedule and agenda. I'm just going to outsource this to an agency. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in hiring an agency or in determining whether the one you've hired is doing the right job... What should they be looking for, Jen? Yeah, it's pretty common to outsource to an agency or make an assumption that I'm just going to get a college intern to manage my social. And while agencies may be experts on the features and functionality of platforms and college students might be more in tune with the latest social platforms, they don't know your business and they may not know your voice. And it's really important that you don't outsource all of the content and your voice that you have a say in how you want it to sound, the tone and the types of content and information and, you know, knowing your audience. Like I'll just give a quick example from the dog industry. If we posted something with a dog and a a specific collar, the, the audience might get upset about that. And so if I had given that to an agency, I would have had to give specific instructions that all photos, you know, cannot have this type of color or, or something like that. That's just a, a little example. And then in terms of evaluating an agency, I think it's really important to have expectation, like how often are you going to post and how are you going to evaluate the success or the impact? Because it's pretty common. I've seen in some of our score clients where they might hand things off to an agency, but they don't know how to evaluate the impact of the agency and they don't know how to challenge what the agency is reporting back to them. They don't know how to ask the right questions. And so getting a little upfront education on 
what are the goals of what we're doing, how are we going to measure the baseline and then our improvement over time, and then how often are we going to meet to discuss the the impact of the results. And, you know, with those things in mind, I think you can, you know, have a good plan in place. I would also recommend talking to at least three different agencies to compare and contrast pricing and culture and fit and responsiveness and, and making sure that their culture aligns with, with your um, with your mindset for your business. Excellent advice. Let's talk a moment about metrics because I've, I've read that there are these vanity metrics out there and maybe it's in terms of followers, which, you know, you can buy followers. That doesn't mean a whole lot. What type of metrics are the most meaningful in your opinion? For me, the most meaningful are engagement. And what that means is how are people responding to your content? Do they like it? Do they post comments? What are the tones of the comments? Are they asking questions? Do they, you know, continue to fo- do they follow you? Do they refer their friends to you? That's engagement. And, you know, ultimately, not only do you want engagement, you want people to click on your website or the- you want people to act on the call to action that you're asking them. So that call to action could be sign up for our newsletter. It could be listen to our, our webinar, attend our event, or, you know, purchase on our website. So there's various calls to action, and it's important to be able to create some sort of system to measure the effectiveness of your, your your social media marketing. The other thing about the scores is I am not a fan of cloud or, or all those other scores. We explored a lot of those when I was um, in IBM uh, inside sales, and I don't think they, they actually measure. They, they might measure your activity on the social platforms, but they don't measure the impact or the outcome for your sales objectives. And that's, ultimately why you're doing this. You're doing this because you want to build your own personal brand, your company's brand, and you want to increase your revenue or your brand awareness, whatever your objectives are. What do you mean by the cloud? Because I mean, some people, yeah, there's people know that you can upload things to the cloud and that's a a storage site, but they may not be familiar with that term as a metric. Could you explain that a little bit? Oh, it's clout. K-L-O-U-T. I misunderstood. Yeah, there was a a couple of scores. There was a couple of scores that people used to rely on and then they would use them as bragging rights and in their oh. in their Twitter bios or their LinkedIn they would say, Oh my clout score is such and such. And you know, even LinkedIn created a social selling index score. There, we have humans seem to have this need to have a score. <laughs> or maybe it's um maybe it's not a human thing, maybe it's just a cultural thing, but we want to grab onto a numerical. We want to know how we're doing. And it's really hard to actually measure the impact the ROI of social. And people talk about it all the time and they write books and they say, here's how to measure it. But ultimately, it's, it's pretty hard. And that's why we partnered with an academic researcher at Rutgers who did you know, scientific research on this and sophisticated regression analyses on our, our activities versus our sales outcomes. And, and that's the true way of measuring because is, people are claiming causality and it's, it's false. Sometimes it can be very indirect. So how do you really find out what the cause and effect is? If I post something here, is it really going to lead to a sale or traffic to the website? Never mind a conversion. There are all of these little different steps in between. Exactly. It's the same as if you go to a networking event and you meet someone and six months later, that person refers you to a client. And rarely do people capture that in their CRM or their sales system. But, but that's the same kind of thing that happens online. But people 
expect a different kind of result or because they are investing money in new tools and new processes, they want to be able to see a return. And I completely appreciate that. I think that people need to really be careful about measuring activity and think and mistaking that for outcome. That's a really important point. And it's so hard because it's easy to sink a lot of time and money into social media, especially if we're not really strategic or focused about what we're doing. We're just like flailing <laughs> or having the college student do the posting for us or worse yet, the, the high schooler down the street because, well, they're good with computers. They must know this stuff. And uh, it's an easy trap to fall into. Well, I'm curious, Jennifer, though, how did you get into all of this? What happened in, in the course of your career that influenced you to go down this path or influenced you in, in general? Can you share an influencer with us? Yeah, I can. In terms of how I, I got into it, it was actually kind of random. Um, I was working at IBM and our VP at the time, VP of marketing, was really into you know advanced and, and kind of innovative marketing. And she wanted me to sit on a, a, a council for exploring social media. So I got tapped um, and I was um, a resistant to it at first and was like, I don't have time for this. I have so many other things to do. And so I could really appreciate when everybody who I was training would say to me, I don't have time for this. <laughs> um, and so, you know, having gone through it myself, that that was um, how I got into it. In terms of um, influencers, I've always loved psychology and that was my you know undergraduate background. And and one of the thought leaders in this field is Robert Cialdini, and he wrote a book called um, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And I relied on his book quite heavily when I was a social business transformation leader. And he talks about things like reciprocity and um, likability and like scarcity principle. And, and those are principles that are kind of timeless and are used all the time now in, um, in social media marketing. Excellent, excellent. Well, I am delighted that we've been able to spend some time with you, and I appreciate all the different nuggets and the food for thought you've given us, some terrific tips to help us become more successful with our social media results and social selling. And we're just about out of time, and I was wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our audience. What I would say is take it slow and pick one platform to start with. You know, it can be very overwhelming to say I have to do it all today. But if you pick one and baby step your way and, and learn a little bit, you'll build some mastery and then through the trial and error, and then that you can take that same approach and use it with the next platform. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Jennifer. I appreciate your time. These pearls of wisdom. It has been terrific having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then. <laughs>